First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So now in these, the, the, these last verses, these last four verses of 1 Thessalonians, as we've been going through this book for over a year now, uh, you'll see that the, la- the very last verse, which we'll deal with, uh, Lord willing, a couple of weeks from now, is a special blessing or a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But just prior to that, in verses 25 through 27, we see duties of holiness. Duties of holiness. That is to say, these duties that are there in order for us to demonstrate that we are set apart unto God. So doing these things won't cause us to be in a right relationship with God. But they will demonstrate. They will prove. They will illustrate that God's grace, in point of fact, has been at work in our lives. And so therefore, we have these duties of holiness. And notice these three duties, as we've been looking at over the past several weeks, these three duties are focused in different ways. First of all, verse 25, brethren, pray for us. And so we are to pray. And that is an upward focus. We direct our prayers to heaven, to God. We are also, as we noted last week, we are to greet the brethren, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And, of course, we mentioned the fact we don't necessarily today literally have to do a, but notice it's a holy kiss, We don't literally have to do it, but nevertheless, there is a physical, there's a definite physical dimension to this, isn't it? Whether it be a hearty handshake or a hug or whatever else. And so that, of course, is an outward focus, is it not? It's an outward focus in terms of the fellowship of the saints. But then thirdly, as we see here in verse 27 about listening to the word of God, that is a, we might say, a downward focus. Because as the minister or other, or the elder, other authorized person, reads the word of God in public worship, he is a messenger of heaven. And so the, the, as we here lift up our prayers, so there's an upward dynamic, Now there's a downward dynamic. That is to say, it is God himself who is speaking in his word and speaking through the reading of his word. And so we find then these three duties of holiness. Holiness meaning, again, the idea of being set apart for God. That's the essence of what it means to be holy. Not to be, not moral perfection, although if we are set apart for God, then of course we're going to want to have moral perfection. But the essence of holiness, children, as we've talked about before, is separateness, set-apartness, just like 
you may your your uh, perhaps your your mom may have special dishes that are set apart for when the when the queen comes to dinner, so to speak. You know, or just like a bride will have a wedding dress, and she doesn't wear that every day, as it is special, right? Or some other special clothing, perhaps that you have, or whatever it may happen to be, something that's special. It is set apart for special occasions or for special purpose. Well, we, if we are the children of God, have been set apart unto God, and we are therefore holy unto him. So, as we mentioned uh, from a couple of weeks ago, the plea for prayer, brethren, pray for us, the plea that the, the brothers and sisters would pray for Paul and Silas and Timothy, brethren, Pray for us as we engage in ministry and so forth. And then the salutation, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And now we come in verse 27 to reading the word. Reading the word. And so Paul says, I charge you before the Lord or by the Lord. The verb here is horkizo in the Greek, horkizo, and it's a command, listen to me carefully here, this is a command to them by means of, I'm going to use a technical word here, you ready for that? Adjuration, isn't that a fancy word? Adjuration, A-D-J-U-R-A-T-I-O-N. Sometimes in scripture you will find where it's translated, I adjure thee. What does this mean? It means to impose upon someone a duty by means of an oath. So you are in, so this command, if you will, it's not just giving them an order, but there's a, a, a greater seriousness or solemnity in terms of this to emphasize the fact to impose upon them a duty by means of taking an oath, a pledge, if you will, a pledge before God, vowing before God, giving an oath before God that, yes, they will do this duty. Now, one of the most famous examples of this is in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 24, uh, where uh, you remember where Abraham, in verse 3, said to the oldest servant of his house, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So he's laying a duty. Abraham was laying a duty upon his servant but he was doing it by so that so whereby the servant was obligated to pledge that he was going to he was to take an oath that he would actually do this. We signed also, and this is very interesting, in Matthew chapter twenty six and verse sixty three. Matthew twenty six verse sixty three. Jesus was on trial. We read verse sixty three, but Jesus kept silent. He was like, like Isaiah 53, a sheep before a shearers is dumb. He kept quiet. People were astounded. But then, 
The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath, I adjure thee, by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And at that point, when the high priest put him under oath, Jesus, who was subject to the law for our sake, responded. At that point, he responded. You see, isn't that interesting? And so that's what you find here then in terms of this word. It's a, in other words, it underscores the seriousness of it. That's what they're saying. Not just we, we order you or we suggest. No, we command you by means of adjuration. We're imposing upon you this duty. This is a real duty that you must do. And do it by the Lord. Of course, it is the word of the Lord with which they were dealing. And so I charge you before the Lord or by the Lord, what is the duty now? That this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. That this epistle, this letter be read to all the holy brethren. Now children, that's what an epistle is. It's a fancy way of saying a letter. And much of the New Testament consists of epistles or letters most of them written by the Apostle Paul, others written by other folks like Jude and, and uh, Peter and John. And we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, possibly Paul, possibly someone else. But these are epistles, so it's in the form of letters to either a church or a group of churches or to individuals. So here we have the church at Thessalonica that we've been dealing with uh, in uh, the area of Greece called Macedonia. And, um, of course, we also have where Paul would write, for instance, to Timothy and to Titus, or where Paul would write to Philemon. And so that's, this is what, he is, what they are saying here, or actually Paul is saying, I, so singular, I charge you, I command you by the Lord that this epistle, this letter, be read to all the holy brethren. Now, the first thing that you notice here then, we're going to be talking about the nature of the word of God in just a minute, but the, the first thing that you notice here that's very interesting is that by saying this, Paul is claiming that his writing is inspired, Right? Otherwise, the, there would be no point to this. This is a claim by the Apostle Paul of inspiration. That's why he's saying, this letter, this very letter, make sure that it is read because this is the reading of the Word of God. Now we find the, um, the, uh, the notion of uh, reading to be read, hug, uh, hagenosko is the uh, Greek word, hagenosko. We had our, uh, today, our first scripture reading was from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 16, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. It's the same word. He stood up to read. In Acts chapter 15, the first Jerusalem council, Acts chapter 15 and verse 21, we see uh, James 
um, saying, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every <laughs> Sabbath. Now when he says Moses is being read, what does he mean? He means the books of Moses. The books which Moses wrote. The first five books of the Old Testament. They were read as part of the worship that was offered in a synagogue. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul writes, But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil, a covering lies on their heart. In other words, they don't understand. And Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Now when this epistle is read among you, that is to say of Colossians, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. The noun form is found in Acts 13 verse 15. And the other one I want to point out is 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, where Paul says to young Timothy, a young preacher, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So this, what Paul is referring to here is the public reading of Scripture. The public reading of Scripture. And this reading, then, he says, is to be done to all the brethren, or all the holy brethren. No distinction, the entire congregation is to hear. And you know, there are, there are some churches that will actually divide out the children from the rest of the congregation. Did you know that? what we call often is referred to as children's church. Let me suggest that that arrangement does not fit with what we have here. All the brethren, including even the young people, need to hear the reading of the word. And those of you all that work with young people, you know as well as I do, it's amazing what children will pick up it's amazing what I can ask young people after the service in terms of the reading or in terms of the preaching. You see, by, by training children from the very start, then this doesn't become something that seems unusual or strange or anything, right? And so they, just by doing it, just by participating in it, they then are able, as they grow up in the church, they're able to just to grow up in terms of always knowing that this is what you do in church. And so it is all the brethren, all the people, all the flock, all the congregation is to hear the word being read. Notice again, it's the idea of the holy brethren, that is to say those who have been set apart. Of course, ultimately, this is in terms of God's election, but... Externally, we talk about those who have made profession of faith, those who have been baptized, whether upon profession of faith or being children of believers. 
And so the holy brethren, and of course not excluding the women either, it's the brothers and the sisters. Now at this point, I want to talk for a few minutes about, the doc about doctrine. The first thing I want to talk about is the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture. Because this is, we need to know what we're talking about when we talk about the Word of God, the doctrine of Scripture. So there are three I words, starting with the letter I, I want to bring to your attention, and two more terms as well. Inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy. Inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. We'll take those in, the, in that order. So when we talk about inspiration, it means that God, the Holy Spirit, moved men to write the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one, but you notice, used men, used their personality, you, or wrote through their personality, wrote in terms of, you can tell the difference between the writings of John and the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul and so forth, but superintended that writing so that as they wrote scripture, it was actually the word of God, it was actually the Holy Spirit that was bearing them along so that when we go to scripture, we can say, this is the very word of God. It is inspired. What we have in scripture is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives us the word of God. We, in this regard of inspiration, we use the term plenary, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. Now, you may hear in that word plenary, you may hear the word plenty or plentiful. Plenary means the fullness. It means the entire word of God is inspired. There's no part of the Bible that has not been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is plenary. It fills, the inspiration, as it were, fills the entire Bible. It is plenary. It is full. It's filled to the brim, we might say. You fill up a glass all the way. Children, you ever filled it off to see how far you could get it without spilling? None of you would ever do that right. But anyway, you ever done that? It's filled to the brim. It's plenary. It's full, you see. But it is also verbal, meaning it is not just the thoughts that are inspired. It is the very words themselves. It's the very words themselves. And you know what's interesting about this? When you look at Scripture, when, when a, like for example, when a minister preaches, have you ever noticed that we, we talk about the words? You notice that? And sometimes it's, it's just... The littlest of words sometimes that can make all the difference. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes it's the little, you know, the little conjunction. Maybe it's just the littlest thing, seemingly, and yet it can make all the difference in the world. And that's what we find then uh, in terms of inspiration. It is verbal. It extends throughout the entire, but it is every word. Or as Jesus said, every jot and tittle, every dotting of the I and crossing of the T, we would say. Every word has been inspired 
by the Holy Spirit. So inspiration. Number two, inerrancy. Inerrancy. Now some of y'all may be baseball fans, I'm not sure. No baseball fans here. Well, you may know enough about baseball, some of you, to know that to the to the hot spot, to the third baseman, and he muffs it, he has committed an error. A mistake. Okay? Well, the Bible is inerrant. It is without error. There is no mistake in Scripture. But more than that, it is infallible, meaning there's not even the possibility of a mistake. A third baseman can go through the entire season without committing an error. But he's not infallible. He might make an error, right, in the, in the playoffs or next season. Very often, yes, that's true. And so the Bible, though, is infallible. There is, not only is there no error, there's no possibility of error because it is the very word of God. Inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. Number four, the Bible is holy. We refer to the Holy Bible. And it is in this regard, we can think of the two meanings of holiness that we've already talked about. Perfection. It is morally perfect. So that we submit to it rather than questioning it or talking back to it. One of my colleagues, where I teach in college, has actually written a book called Talking Back to the Bible. Hmm. Yeah, that's not exactly the way, we're, that's not to be our attitude, is it, children? We don't talk back to the Bible. We don't pretend that we have more knowledge or that we are more moral than God. We rather submit to God because he is the perfect one and his word is perfect. But we also recognize the holiness of the Bible in that the books that we have here have been set apart for us in terms of, of the scriptures, in terms of the scriptures. There have been other writings that may have been inspired. I mentioned just a moment ago from Colossians 4, remember the, the church at Laodicea? Make sure the church at Laodicea hears this book, Colossians, but you Colossians, make sure you hear the book from Laodicea. But what's interesting about that is we don't have a book of Laodicea in the scripture today, do we? So apparently it was an inspired book, but it was not one of the books that the Holy Spirit wanted to be included in what we have in terms of scripture. Sometimes you will hear folks say, oh, well, we've got a new discovery of new books, you know, that we have to add to scripture. No, no, no. God, the Holy Spirit, has not only inspired scripture, but he has sovereignly selected the 66 books that we have in the word of God. It is because the word of God is holy. It has been set apart by the spirit, these particular books for our use. And then fifthly, scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is the only infallible rule for faith and life. The only infallible, without error, without possibility of error, rule for faith and life. 
And therefore, the only sure interpretation is Scripture interpreting Scripture. So, the doctrine of the Word of God, it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is holy, it is sufficient. Secondly, notice with me, in terms of doctrine, the importance of Scripture reading. Now, this is certainly true in private and family worship. It is true in private and family worship. And so each of you needs to read the Bible, and if you are the head of a household, you need to read the Bible, you need to read that for the people in your household. But not only is it in private and family worship, but it is also to be done in public worship. And this is specifically what we have here in verse 27. It is to be done by someone authorized to do so minister or an elder or perhaps a ministerial candidate, one who is training for the ministry, but someone who is authorized to do so, not just by anyone. There was a book several years ago, a little book called Many Verses. Many Verses! Exclamation mark. What was the point of the book? The point was that we need to have much scripture read in church. And the author, who was a layperson actually, was, was lamenting the fact that in many churches today, you might just have just a little, you know, just a couple of verses of Scripture read. Whereas we want many verses read because we want to hear God speaking to his people through his word. Many verses. And so the importance then of Scripture reading. And then thirdly, in terms of doctrine, notice the relatedness of these three duties that we have in these three verses. Brethren, pray for us. Well, prayer, as we noted, is like breathing. Prayer is like breathing. As the Holy Spirit leads us to pray, he gives us the very words to pray. And prayer is like breathing, is it not, in terms of our spiritual walk. The fellowship, greet all the brethren with the holy kiss, is like cool, refreshing water. And reading the word, it's like bread. It's what feeds us. And of course, spiritually, it's what feeds our souls. So notice the relatedness of these three duties. Breathing, that's important. Water, that's important. And bread. Now, two points of application. The first is this. Be sure... Children, listen to me now, because you need to learn this from an early age. Be sure to read the Bible every day. Be sure to read the Bible every day. And I'd encourage you, don't just, you know, go to, uh, you know, just arbitrarily just open up Scripture and so forth. No, you want to read, you want to read a book of the Bible, or you want to read a series of books. Maybe you want to read through the whole Bible. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to read through the entire scripture this year? Or maybe by next year? There are all kinds of tools by which you can do that. It doesn't take that long. And I've probably read through the Bible maybe 30 times or so in my life. Something like that. I'm not sure. Um, sometimes I will take my time and, and not read as much. You do about three chapters a, a day, and you can get through the entire Bible in a year. 
But you know when I started it was when I was a teenager, when I was a child. That's when I started reading the Bible and reading it seriously and at one point then reading it through in its entirety when I was probably 14, 15 years old or so. The earlier the better. Read scripture. It will feed your soul. Be sure to read the Bible every day. But secondly, and this is very important, be sure that in doing so that you are seeking God. See, it's not just, well, i got to read the Bible today. See, it's a duty. I mean, it's interesting. It's a duty. It is a duty. It's a duty of holiness. It's a command. But we can get so caught up in the fact that it's a duty, we forget what it's all about. And so make sure that when you read the Bible, that you are in tune with God. And that you are seeking God. That you are desiring Him. And particularly, that you are desiring the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, as part of His fulfilling righteousness for us, as we read from Luke 4, went into the synagogue. Stood up. Read the scripture. And told the people what it meant. And did you notice? It almost cost him his life. The people wanted to throw him down from the brow of the hill and kill him. They were so angry. It almost cost Jesus his life on that occasion. My friends, ultimately it did cost him his life. Because he came to do the will of God and to fulfill all righteousness and in fulfilling all righteousness for us, fulfilling all parts of scripture for us, he had to go to the cross. And so, my friends, read the Bible every day, even if it's a few verses. Make sure it's a habit for you and be sure that in doing so, you are being sincere and genuine and that you are seeking God indeed that you are seeking Christ Amen. Amen. will you please stand for prayer and our Father we pray that thy Holy Spirit would continue to work now here in our midst and in our hearts and all for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, we pray that we might indeed be the holy brethren, the holy brothers and sisters. And we pray, Lord, that we might do so as we rely upon the Holy Spirit, and especially rely upon the grace of Christ, who is the very Word of God, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.